stepping up to SETI and near-Earth asteroids, this week on Planetary Radio. Welcome. I'm Matt Kaplan of the Planetary Society with more of the human adventure across our solar system and beyond. The Planetary Society has just announced the award of its first Science and Technology Empowered by the Public grants. We'll hear about this new program from Society Chief Scientist Bruce Betts and then meet the leader of one of the lucky teams that have been selected. Jean-Luc Margot of UCLA plans a new citizen science-supported search for extraterrestrial intelligence. Then we'll welcome Bruce back for What's Up, including what may be a deceptively simple space trivia contest. Here's a quick look at the March 11 edition of the Downlink. NASA's Jet Propulsion Lab says all nine science instruments aboard the Europa Clipper spacecraft will be ready to go by the end of this year. The lab will have to keep them nice and clean till the scheduled 2024 launch of this probe that will give us our best look yet at Jupiter's ice and ocean moon. And don't forget that our quarterly magazine, The Planetary Report, is waiting for you at planetary.org. We've devoted it to all the ocean moons of our solar system. NASA also says you still have time to send your name to our moon, or at least to travel around it. You can create a boarding pass for the Artemis One uncrewed mission. Names will be on a flash drive carried by the Orion spacecraft. I've got mine. You'll always find more of our weekly newsletter at planetary.org slash downlink. Bruce, thanks for joining us up front once again to uh, tell us about the STEP grants. Why don't you start with what that stands for? Science and technology empowered by the public. I love it. We're very excited about it. So as you know, Matt, and as our regular listeners know, we've been funding science and technology projects for a very long time, actually going all the way back to the beginning of the Planetary Society, almost as soon as it started in 1980. So what we're doing with the STEP grants is now doing this as an open, competed process to cast the net wider to find exciting projects that we can make a difference by funding them with the help of our donors and members. And so we've created this international open process that we ran for the first time this year, and uh, we're very excited about it. What kind of response did you get? How many proposals? Uh, We did it as a two-step process. We got 38 pre-proposals, so basically short proposals. We then reviewed those and invited full proposals from the ones that we thought had a good chance of getting funded. And we had five of those submitted, five full proposals, and from that we selected two. One of the projects is headed by Professor Jean-Luc Margot out of UCLA here in California. And it's a SETI project, Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence. Margot's group and the UCLA group uh, does radio SETI using the world's largest steerable telescope, Green Bank, in West Virginia. And they proposed, and we're funding, the creation of a citizen science project to allow citizen scientists to actually help them out in classifying radio signals to help solve one of the big challenges in radio SETI, besides is anyone actually out there, which is to remove earth interference radio signals. And this process will help identify those and uh, narrow it down to if there are real signals, making it more likely to find them. 
The second project is out of the University of Belgrade in Serbia and is led by Bojan Novakovic and his team at the University of Belgrade are coming up with a new way, a new novel way to determine the physical properties of near-Earth asteroids. So right now, we can learn whether things are solid rock or boulders or fluffy fluff balls, uh, all of which are valid permutations of near-Earth asteroids. We learn it mostly through spacecraft data, which is very limited, space telescopes. So they've got a new way to use different ground-based and other observations of these objects to extract physical properties, how they differ from one another. They're using complex mathematical modeling and lots of computer time combined with newly released data on uh, some of these asteroids. I had a great time talking to uh, to both of these uh, team leaders or principal investigators. They both want to involve the public. They both have plans for doing that. And, you know, as I said to some of them, uh, both of them, I think that's that's a big deal for us as well at the Planetary Society. Exactly. And so at one of our criteria for judging, although we have, clearly have ones on the science and the technology and the Uh, likelihood of success and the value of the goals and budget and schedule and all the stuff you usually have on science proposals. But we actually also give credit and get excited about proposals for projects that involve the public in some way and engage them and excite them or something that they're uh, interested in supporting, including our members. I know that this first round, uh, it got a kickstart from a a donor, a very good friend of the Planetary Society, uh, who you can maybe acknowledge, but uh, also is is the plan that there will be future rounds? There is indeed. Let me first thank our gracious donor, Taner Halajiolu, who has started this program and provided the funding for the development and initial implementation and grants. And it will continue into the future, both with his support and with support of our membership and donors who have supported our science and technology projects all through time. What we plan to do is in within the next couple months, we will actually to continue to kickstart this program. We will have another call for proposals, request for proposals. So that process will run during the course of this year and maybe a little into next year. Then we will start an every two-year process. So we'll, we did 21. This is the end of the 21 process. We'll do 22, and then we'll have another in 24 and 26. Thank you, Bruce. Great intro to uh, this uh, conversation that we're about to hear uh, uh, talking with Jean-Luc Margot of UCLA. Uh, anybody who wants to can uh, go to the podcast version of this week's show and uh, hear my conversation with uh, Boyan Novakovic as well about that uh, fascinating project using uh, remote observing, basically, and an interesting effect to uh, discover uh, the characteristics to characterize uh, near-Earth objects. For now, we'll, uh, we'll go to Jean-Luc, and then I look forward to talking to you again at uh, the end of the show when we get back to what's up. I look forward to it also, Matt. And we'll talk more about steps, but not step grants. Dun, dun, dun. (laughs) I love foreshadowing. That's Bruce Betts, the chief scientist of the Planetary Society, who has just successfully concluded the first round of step grants. Jean-Luc Margot is a professor at UCLA in both the departments of Earth, Planetary, and Space Sciences, and physics and astronomy. He and co-investigator Lisa Garibay learned a few days ago that their step-grant proposal 
has been funded. They call it Are We Alone? A Citizen Science-Enabled Search for Technosignatures. Jean-Luc joined me shortly after receiving the good news. Jean-Luc Margot, welcome to Planetary Radio. Your name has been heard here on the show before, but I'm delighted to finally have you on the show, especially because I can congratulate you on being one of the two recipients of the very first STEP grants from the Planetary Society. So congratulations. Thank you, Matt. It's a pleasure to be here. So uh, you were awarded $49,980 for this project. I'll throw in an extra 20 if you want to make it a nice uh, round 50 grand. That sounds great. I went, <laughs> okay. by, the pro- I went by the program guidelines. <laughs> Very well done. I mean, my goodness, what if this project does what uh, SETI has been after now for over 60 years and discovers that we are not alone? I love that in your proposal right up at the top, you call this a search for cosmic companionship which is just a lovely way to phrase this. Why, why did you put it that way? Well, I viewed the search for life in the universe as one of the most important questions that we can answer. And so I'm really excited about the question. It's a question that I think many of us have asked. And in fact, Carl Sagan, who was one of the founder of the Planetary Society, was really enthusiastic about this question and, and supported the search for extraterrestrial intelligence. As you know, all life on Earth is connected, is derived from a a single common ancestor. That sort of blinds us to the possibilities of life elsewhere. And it's really critical, really important that we find other evidence for life elsewhere so that we can broaden our understanding of what life is and maybe come up with a general theory of living systems. So this search is really important. As a result, uh, federal agencies are investing tens of billions of dollars to enable the search, primarily uh, a search for biosignatures, which is evidence of biological activity. But there's another way to search for life elsewhere, and that's the search for technosignatures, which is evidence of technological activity. And so that's the approach that we're taking. This is just my personal bias, but I would rather find evidence for the Vulcans than for bacteria. That's right. Imagine the possibilities if we detected a signal from another civilization. One thing to realize is that any other civilization out there is almost certainly more advanced than we are. And the reason for that is because we've been technological for only 140 years or so. That's the sort of timescale over which we've had radio technology. That's a tiny slice in the 14 billion year history of the universe. And therefore, if you contemplate that another civilization exists, they're almost certainly guaranteed to be at another stage of development and far more advanced than we are. So again, imagine what we could learn if we established contact with such a civilization. I should add that I will be thrilled if we find evidence of any kind of life, even if it's lowly bacteria. But but my goodness, um, something else that I love about your proposal is that it salutes the SETI work that has been funded by the Planetary Society since its earliest days, uh, until very recently. And and now we're picking it up again, of course, with this grant. You mentioned the work uh, by by the great Paul Horowitz, who, you know, is a past guest on the show. I am thrilled to see us returning to this field. As you know, it was so important to our founders, including Carl Sagan, who I think you got to hear speak once, or or actually was at a celebration, a birthday celebration, That's right. I actually was a graduate student at Cornell University 
where Carl was a professor and uh, at his uh, 60th birthday celebration, there were lots of talks, including one by Paul Horowitz. And that really was an inspiration to me, uh, hearing Carl and Paul talk about the search for extraterrestrial intelligence, what had a big impact on, on my uh, career and scientific outlook. Well, let's start talking about this new project and also how you're going to involve uh, citizen scientists uh, in it. Tell us about this project that you call Are We Alone? A Citizen Science-Enabled Search for Technosignatures. Sure. I'll, I'll give you a little bit of background. Uh, for the past six years, the UCLA SETI group has been using the largest fully steerable telescope in the world to search for technosignatures, uh, evidence of other civilizations. We have searched so far about 36,000 stars and planetary systems. And mm. over the next few years, we're going to search another 40,000 stars and planetary systems. And as part of the search, we detect millions of candidate technosignatures. Most of these are obvious human-generated radio frequency interference. And so we can eliminate those fairly easily. But a small fraction of the signals are not immediately classifiable by a computer and they require additional scrutiny. And so we're launching the citizen science platform in partnership with the Planetary Society with two objectives. One, we want to identify the most promising signals among the, the candidates that we detect. And two, we want to build what's called a labeled training set to build a machine learning application that will allow us to classify signals more efficiently in the future. So those are the goals of the citizen science platform. I'm really excited about it. And I hope your listeners will consider partnering with us and joining in the search. We certainly will facilitate that when the time comes, although I, I'm sure it's a, it's a little ways off. So stay tuned, everybody. It's a visual process as you envision it, right? I mean, it's not that they're not going to have headphones on like we have right now. They're going to see on their screen a display that represents this signal. That's right. We display the time and frequency structure of the signal, of each candidate's signal, with an image. And that image can be classified in, in one of a dozen classes or so. So it's a task that um, does not require a PhD, right? You're looking at images and you're classifying it. Uh, even elementary school or middle school students should be able to do this. That's great. I should mention I've been teaching a SETI course at UCLA since 2016. Uh, every year we teach it. And so we've taught SETI to something like over 100 undergraduate students and, and maybe 10 graduate students. Among the, the alumni from the course, um, many people have volunteered already to help launch the mm. citizen science platform. So we have a number of volunteers that are eager to get training and, and help launch the platform. I like the uh, group shots of your students uh, in the SETI group at uh, UCLA that you already mentioned. Just a shame that, you know, the last two of those have been shots of uh, Zoom uh, screens, but uh, hopefully we'll be getting away from that. You know, this is more proof that you are not new to SETI. I did see that listing in the class, but I also saw that you have worked with one of my favorite guests and people, uh, the great Jill Charter. Uh, what, what did you work on with Jill? You may remember there was a decadal survey to uh, delineate the priorities for astronomy and astrophysics a few years back. I volunteered to write a white paper about the future of radio technosignature searches. 
and Jill was uh, kind enough to uh, join the, the writing of the paper and, and advise us on, on the future directions. That's great. I love talking to her and uh, she's a gift to humanity. You say that if all goes well, we may get started in January of next year, 2023. How long do you hope to maintain this effort, including the, the citizen science uh, part of it? It depends a little bit on the funding. We are uh, we are applying for uh, NASA funding as well. NASA has a small program for citizen science efforts, and we've put in a proposal very similar to the one we submitted to the Planetary Society. And we've you know we've disclosed to both agencies that we're uh, that we're submitting uh, similar proposals. Uh, hopefully, both uh, both organizations decide to fund it, and that will allow us to keep the platform going and. Uh, have larger data sets, a larger number of signals to examine. So at the minimum, it will be six months. Hopefully, it will be a year and a half. And if we can continue to get funding, uh, we may pursue it longer than that. We'll, we'll see how it goes. I'll close with this. I saw that you've been a science advisor to a long list of movies and television shows, uh, many of which have considered alien intelligence, finding E.T. out there and interacting with him, her, or it. You've addressed this somewhat, but I, I just wonder if you could talk a little bit more about what, what it will mean if this project finds real-life evidence that, that we are not alone, and, and what will it mean to you? Well, I'm a planetary astronomer, and most of my research isn't SETI, right? I study the physical and dynamical properties of planets and satellites and asteroids, um, their interiors, the processes that govern them. And all of that is really exciting, and I'm really passionate about it. But a few years back, after the Kepler revolution happened, the Kepler Space mm -hmm. Telescope revolution happened, I asked myself, what is the most important scientific question that I could answer? There was absolutely no doubt in my mind that the search for technosignatures was the most important uh, question that I could answer by orders of magnitude, right? I'm, again, I'm excited about my Venus work and my Mercury work, um, but if we were able to detect a signal from another civilization, that would be by far the most impactful uh, discovery of my career. I think it would be a celebration maybe worldwide to know that we're not alone in the universe, that there are other civilizations out there. One might even hope that it would help us get closer to one another and, you know, maybe reduce some of the conflicts that we're observing on Earth today. <sighs> Devoutly to be wished. Um, Jean-Luc, I, I have said this to other SETI researchers. I will say it to you. If that day comes and I'm still around and Planetary Radio is still around, I expect uh, you to hold a place in line uh, where we can stand with the New York Times and CNN and everybody else who's going to be trying to pound down your door so that we can talk to you about this, uh, this discovery when and if it is made. And uh, as our boss, Bill Nye, says, it changes everything. Uh, thank you so much. Congratulations once again. And uh, good hunting. Thank you for having me. I hope that one of your listeners makes that discovery. Professor Jean-Luc Margot of UCLA, Principal Investigator for the just-funded STEP grant project titled Are We Alone? A Citizen Science-Enabled Search for Technosignatures. Much more of my conversation with Jean-Luc is in the podcast version of this week's show at planetary.org radio and everywhere else on the web. 
That's where you'll also hear my equally great conversation with Boyan Novakovich, Principal Investigator for Demystifying Near-Earth Asteroids, or DNEAS, the other project that has won a step grant. I'll be back in a minute with Bruce and What's Up. Hi, this is Kate from the Planetary Society. How does space spark your creativity? We want to hear from you. Whether you make cosmic art, take photos through a telescope, write haikus about the planets, or invent space games for your family, really any creative activity that's space-related, we invite you to share it with us. You can add your work to our collection by emailing it to us at connect at planetary.org. That's connect at planetary.org. Thanks. There's so much going on in the world of space science and exploration, and we're here to share it with you. Hi, I'm Sarah, Digital Community Manager for the Planetary Society. Want more space? We've got the latest news, pretty planetary pictures, and Planetary Society publications on our social media channels. You can find the Planetary Society on Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, and Facebook. I hope you'll like and subscribe so you never miss the next exciting update from the world of planetary science. As promised, it's time for What's Up on Planetary Radio. Here, once again, is the Chief Scientist of the Planetary Society, Dr. Bruce Betts, to tell us about the night sky and uh, oh, all kinds of other stuff. Something about steps, step in time, apparently. <laughs> Welcome back. Yes, I thought I'd have a whole Mary Poppins section. <laughs> yes, I'm going to talk about steps, but first we're going to talk about the night sky, or really the sky in the pre-dawn, and uh, even I actually followed my dogs out to bark at coyotes in the middle of the night and have seen it. And you know what, Matt? Venus is still really bright. So if you look over in the east, anywhere in the east, you'll see a really bright star-like object. That's Venus in the pre-dawn. And it is hanging out with Mars and Saturn, and they are getting, well, frankly, kind of snuggly. Uh, we've got <laughs> Venus super bright, and then over to its right is reddish Mars, and below it is yellowish Saturn. And they're going to get closer. And even even a surprise guest appearance by the moon on March tw- morning of March 28th. And to get a little further ahead, because I'm really excited about it. Well, March 28th, you'll have Saturn near Venus. But you'll have Saturn really snugly close to Mars on April 4th. So check it out. On to this week in space history. It was 1958 that Vanguard 1 was launched. Vanguard 1, which holds the distinction of being the oldest object still in space. Stopped working a long time ago, but it's still up there orbiting. And in 2011, Messenger, after flybys of Mercury, was able to actually go into orbit and become the first and only so far Mercury orbiter. We move on to random space fact. Random space fact steps. So... (laughs) In the, in the world of famous steps of the past, I'm thinking Neil Armstrong stepping onto the surface of the moon, probably the most famous, certainly one of the most famous, uh, where he, of course, said uh, the whole, um, you know, thing that he said. That thing. What was that, Matt? Uh, one small step for a man, one giant leap for mankind. All right, nice. Now, Apollo 12 astronaut, I think we've discussed his uh, statement. Pete Conrad said, whoopee, man, that may have been a small one for Neil, but that's a long one for me. Well, it turns out, apparently, he said this as he jumped down onto the footpad. And then when he stepped off the footpad, 
he has a quote that I find very amusing, which is stepped onto the moon surface and said, Ooh, is that soft and queasy? <laughs> Are you serious? That's what I read in multiple locations. Thank you. That's what I'm here for. Let us move on, shall we, to the trivia contest. I asked you, what was Olympus Mons, the, of course, largest mountain in the solar system on Mars, what was Olympus Mons named before being named that, back when astronomers only knew it as an albedo or brightness feature? How do we do, Matt? Another big response. And what was also interesting uh, in the response to this week's contest is how many first-timers, how many people we had not heard from before, including Sam Boyd. Sam, no, I don't want to get your hopes up. No, I'm sorry. Keep, keep at it. You didn't win this one. But Sam said, I love listening to the podcast on my hikes through forests near St. Louis, where my mother hails from. It is quite serene and blithely ironic to be listening to information about the farthest reaches of our universe while getting in closer to nature on our own special rock. Oh, cool. Nicely done. Glad to have you with us, Sam. Here comes the answer, I suspect, from our poet laureate, Dave Fairchild in Kansas. Giovanni Schiaparelli saw a spot and said, uh-huh, I will name this Martian feature. <laughs> Call it Nix Olympica for the snows of Mount Olympus and the nomenclature's mine. All this happened in the year of 1879. What was it he said at first? Uh-huh. 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 <laughs> uh-huh. Is that your Martian mountain you gave a name to? Uh-huh. <laughs> Thank you. I have a whole different image of Chaparelli. <laughs> That's better than Percival Lowell's anyway. But Nix Olympica. It is indeed Nix Olympica, as was inferred there, Latin for Olympic snow. Well, let me tell you the actual winner this week. It happens to be, chosen by random.org, a first-timer, as far as I could tell. Alexandra Hebda, congratulations. Uh, Alexandra is in Georgia. She sure enough said Nix Olympica. So she is going to be getting that really stunning 20 by 36 inch screen print of the Viking Mars lander and orbiter from Chop Shop, chopshopstore.com, where the Planetary Society uh, merchandise is. Uh, congratulations, Alexandra. And I'm just getting in the habit now of there'll be the simple version of the question, then there'll be all the clarifications for those who uh, think I do devious things. So, simple version, what were the first words spoken from the moon? This based upon words spoken after any part of the spacecraft, in this case the lunar module, touched the surface, and and also tell me who said them. Go to planetary.org slash radio contest. You have until the 23rd. That's March 23 at 8 a.m. Pacific time. And we are continuing in this giveaway of a whole series of prizes from Chop Shop Store, chopshopstore.com, I should say. This time, the poster is Juno over Jupiter. It is absolutely gorgeous. I would be very happy to have this uh, on my wall. It is the spacecraft that is still doing such good work out there over our uh, queen of planets in this solar system. Looking down on that amazing surface, it's a four-color screen print, 20 by 36 inch. It will go to the winner this time around. What surface, Matt? Isn't that Juno at, at Jupiter? I mean, they look at the moons, but I assume the poster is Jupiter? Yeah, it is. You know, is the swirling cloud tops. Uh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm not expecting to go down to the metallic hydrogen here. 
Metal! <laughs> Metallic Hydrogen, definitely the name of one of my bands. <laughs> All right, everybody. Go out there, look up in the night sky, and think about walking through the woods and listening to Matt's soothing voice talking about planets. Thank you, and good night. Hey, Sam, we're going to join you there on that walk sometime. It may not be quite as soothing when you have the chief scientist of the Planetary Society, Bruce Betts, and me along for the walk, but uh, but hopefully it'll be entertaining. Oh, look at that over there. Oh, look at that. Oh, look at that. <laughs> Where'd Sam go? <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. Planetary Radio is produced by the Planetary Society in Pasadena, California, and is made possible by its members who make all of our work possible. Marco Verda and Ray Pauletta are our associate producers this week. Josh Doyle composed our theme, which is arranged and performed by Peter Schlosser. Ad Astro. Ad Astro.